Welcome to Corpus Christi Anglican Church. I'm Morgan, our planting clergy. Our vision of this church is to become a common people in common prayer for uncommon transformation. This podcast is where you will hear our sermons and other teachings that have happened at Corpus Christi. We primarily serve the region of Springfield, Franconia, and Kingstown. We're glad that you're here. Thanks for taking time to listen. Here's the message. Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to see you this morning. Um, I'm the vicar here at Corpus Christi Anglican Church, and uh, it is great to see you this morning, see some new faces to worship with you. Uh, And it's the second Sunday of Lent. Last week was kind of an odd and wonderful beginning to the Lenten season because we had our new bishop with us last Sunday, um, and he gave a great message on uh, Jesus in the wilderness as we prepare for Lent. And so you can hear that on our website. If you go to ccanglicanchurch.org slash sermons, we have all of our sermons there. You can go back and listen to his message. And today, uh, let me pray for us as we begin a, a different path from Jesus in the wilderness to Nicodemus coming at night. In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Gracious God and most merciful Father, You have granted us the rich and precious jewel of your holy word. Assist us with your spirit, that the same word may be written in our hearts to our everlasting comfort, to reform us, to renew us according to your own image, to build us up and edify us into the perfect dwelling place of your Christ, sanctifying and increasing in us all heavenly virtues. Grant this, O Heavenly Father. For Jesus Christ's sake. Amen. Amen. Well, as I mentioned before, last week we were with Jesus in the wilderness. And we heard about Satan tempting him three times and the ways that that helps us prepare for Lent. uh, And the ways that temptations present a facade of, of reality and what is good in the good life. Today is a really different kind of passage. Uh, one that might be somewhat familiar to you. Likely, if you grew up in the church, John 3.16 was one of the first passages you ever memorized. Uh, I remember memorizing that. Actually, I had sort of a flashback as I was reading the gospel today to the um, time release Bible study. I got kicked out of as a child. But one thing I remember was that I memorized that verse. Um, And and so from a very early age, I knew John 3.16. It's a great passage this morning, and it's a wonderful uh, encounter with Nicodemus that we get to experience um, in the second week of Lent. So as we begin in the, in the Gospel of John today, John chapter 3, Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night. Uh, and he comes to Jesus to ask him questions about this kingdom that Jesus is talking about. You can contrast that with the next chapter in John chapter 4, where there is a woman that Jesus is going to encounter, a Samaritan woman, during the daytime. So you have night and day, religious elite, Jewish uh, leader, Samaritan woman at the well. Um, She is somebody who's taking refuge in God's kingdom, not knowing much about it. And Nicodemus here is somebody who is trying to learn about God's kingdom without knowing his need for it. And so the story of Nicodemus is a story of some kingdoms that are clashing. Um, it's, It's a familiar tale that you and I are used to because we live in clashing worlds all the time. God's kingdom, the kingdoms that vie for our attention and affections. And so Nicodemus is like this outsider trying to wrap his mind around the kingdom of God. And Jesus, on the other hand, is this king 
who is inviting people into citizenship under his good and loving rule and reign. And the contours and the benefits of citizenship in the kingdom of God are worked out not from the outside. They're worked out from within. Um, It's available to all people, which is the good news in John 3.16. It is available to all people, not just the Jewish elite. And so, in fact, what we find is that harlots and tax collectors seem to actually understand it better than religious professionals because they are learning the language of grace, uh, which is the language of the citizenship of the kingdom of heaven. And so the passage this morning is inviting us into a new culture. It's a culture of grace. To see the world around us through the lens of being citizens in God's kingdom, we inhabit grace amidst kingdoms that don't know it, but really long to experience the love and the grace of God. And so Nicodemus comes by night. And when he comes by night, it's not to avoid being seen as though he's embarrassed. It's probably because there's a lot of people in the daytime trying to get Jesus's attention. So this is a time where people uh, are not around him as much and he can have a little more focused time with Jesus. But literarily, it's kind of interesting because in John's gospel, there seems to be this indication in the night that um, there's also a spiritual darkness over this person of Nicodemus. He was pretty well known. He was an upstanding Jewish uh, uh, man. He was on a council called the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin under Roman authority was this group of multiple different Jewish factions that oversaw religious life in Jerusalem sort of an ecumenical board for religious affairs uh, in Jerusalem governing Judah's life. And, And so being opposed to the political corruption within the temple system, I'm sure that he, like a lot of other Pharisees, were really interested in what Jesus was doing because he seemed to overturn political corruption in the temple system, which would have made the Sadducees pretty upset. And the Pharisees are going, yeah, make those Sadducees upset. And so what we find in Nicodemus is somebody who's at least curious, um, if not favorable, to what Jesus might be doing. He seems to represent a faction of people. There are probably other Pharisees like him on the Sanhedrin who are trying to figure out what Jesus is about because they're, again, perhaps favorable, at the very least, curious. Is Jesus claiming to just be a prophet like John the Baptist, or is he claiming to be the Messiah, the one that they know so much about from the scriptures? Nicodemus starts by acknowledging Jesus as rabbi. It's a very honoring term. There is some favor that he has towards what Jesus is doing. And what's interesting is that Nicodemus doesn't really ask any questions in the beginning. Um, In verse 2, he essentially says, We know that you are a teacher from God. We know that no one could do the signs that you're doing unless God's with him. But notice that there's actually no question in that. It's just a statement. So when Jesus responds, it's interesting that Jesus finds a question when there's no question being asked. Um, And that seems like a really good place to start, though. Um, It's helpful to think about the fact that this is where a lot of people start. Jesus, you seem like a really respectable fellow. I I, I like the things that you are about. Um, And you teach some really helpful things that I think I should do. I know that you really seem to help people a lot. uh, And that has to be honoring to God. That's where most people start. And so even though that's a good place to start, 
That's not the place we want to end up. Uh, That's not the final resting place of faith. Jesus isn't interested in just people wanting to look upright, to just uphold certain ethical norms or values, or to even just have favorable opinions about Jesus. That's not good enough. Someone somewhere, uh, and it's probably been said a lot of times in a lot of ways, but has said, Jesus didn't come to make us better. He came to make us new. Jesus didn't come to make us better. He came to make us new. So before Nicodemus even gets to a question, Jesus gives him an answer. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. (laughs) Nicodemus is probably going, I didn't ask a question, (laughs) you know. Um, Somewhere in there, there is a question, though, in Nicodemus's mind and heart that Jesus picks up on. And, and I think one commentator helpfully says, the Lord answered not Nicodemus's words, but his thoughts. The Lord's answers to questions will be found generally to reveal the true thought of the questioner and then to be fitted to guide him to the truth which he is seeking. And so it's not the words that Jesus is listening to. It's the thoughts of Nicodemus's heart. And, and then he's tailor making an answer to help Nicodemus find the truth that he may not even be aware that he's searching for. Jesus finds a question behind Nicodemus's statement. And I think that's helpful for us when we think of having conversations with other people. We're always listening for the question behind the question. Um, just by way of a surface level example, one person might say to another person, hey, do you ever find yourself frustrated uh, with your work. So let's say somebody asks me that question. It would be easy for me to say, well, no. Or, I mean, yeah. Like I could answer the question, but that's actually not the question they're asking. The real question is somewhere behind that. They might be asking that question because maybe there was a management change at their office and they're having to put in more hours and now they're finally questioning if that's actually really the thing that God's calling them to or they've just been doing it to to financially survive. Um, It's better to ask curious questions uh, and to get to the question behind the question than just to answer the surface level question. When people come to us and they have statements, things they want to talk about, questions that they either ask or that they don't ask that might be behind a statement, we need to be like Jesus and and can cultivate this curiosity about what they're asking, um, what they're really asking, what that might reveal about the questions they're asking about the kingdom of God. And so Jesus answers the question that Nicodemus doesn't even know he has. You and I, the church, need to be a people that strive to ask better questions about the kingdom of God. And it starts with better questions for ourselves. If you this morning were to take just a few moments to be in prayer with Jesus, communicating with Jesus, what questions would you ask him about his kingdom? Think about it in different realms. Perhaps you're thinking about your friends and your neighbors. What questions would you ask him about how your friends and your neighbors Uh, help you or make it harder to see the kingdom of God. Asking them about our emotional reactions to things, our, our physical responses to things, asking them about the work that we are a a part of our, our vocation. Why do we find ourselves anxious? You know, if we were to sit with them and go, Lord, why is it that I was awake at three o'clock in the morning thinking about this? 
Like, what's behind that? Why do I enjoy certain things and don't enjoy certain things? If I were to sit down with Jesus and ask him those questions about my family or my relationships within my immediate or extended family, about how people may or may not be letting us down, about how, how things feel different than they did a number of years ago, what would you ask Jesus if you could just sit down with him for a few minutes? Is there actually something about his kingdom that he wants to teach you when you ask him that question? What is he going to say to you? And so one of the things that Lent is helpful with is as you think about this Lenten season, is you have this season of sort of quiet uh, contemplation. I didn't schedule really much during the month of March, so you could have a little fallow month to just rest in Lent. You know, could we cultivate a, a habit of reflecting on kingdom questions that would carry on far beyond Lent, but start, start here? To see the kingdom, Nicodemus has to be born from above, or would some translations say born again, or you know, some will say born from above or born again. Nicodemus' follow-up questions are about how somebody is actually supposed to go back into their mother's womb and be born again, right? It's a little sarcastic, but in all reality, like Jesus's answer shouldn't have been that surprising to him. If, if you were to go back to the Old Testament, you can find this concept of God washing Israel's hearts, making a new heart um, all over the place. If you read Ezekiel chapter 36, for example, Verses 25 through 27, the prophet says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And so it's not too far-fetched to think that an, a new spiritual birth, one that's being, having been born of a heavenly reality, is not too far outside what the prophets have already been saying uh, throughout the Old Testament, which is Nicodemus' scriptures. Being a part of God's new covenant people and seeing things as a citizen of God's kingdom requires a new heart. It requires God's spirit to be within us. And that's something a Pharisee, a Pharisee should have known. Uh, but he's an outsider. He's wanting information without a desire to take refuge in Jesus's kingdom. But as ambassadors of God's kingdom, you and I become a testimony to heavenly grace. If you want to know what the realities of heaven are like, it is in the stories that you and I tell about the work that the Holy Spirit has done in us. That is a heavenly reality. Every time we share what God is doing in us or has done in us, we are sharing heavenly realities, stories of the kingdom. Nicodemus asks, well, how can these things be? In, in other words, what he's asking is, how, how is somebody supposed to come to experience this new birth, the effectual working of God's spirit and entry into the kingdom? That's a lot. How does that happen? And it's a great follow-up question to his first one, which is not really a question. Well, the first one is, how can I be born again? It's a good follow-up. How does that happen? Um, Jesus, you would expect. You would expect Jesus to smile at this point, like get a little, ah, now you're asking the right question. Well, Nicodemus, um, I'm glad you asked. 
I'm going to die for you. I'm going to rise from the dead. I'm going to ascend into heaven to show God's approval of what I've done. I'm going to conquer sin and death. And I'm going to reign at the right hand of the Father so that everybody knows that all earthly kingdoms are under my lordship. But he doesn't do that. That would have been a great answer. But he doesn't do that. Instead, what Jesus does is more subtle. He gives Nicodemus a problem, a problem to ponder um, and a solution that's much larger than Nicodemus's question. He gives him a problem to ponder in his heart and he gives him a solution that's much bigger than the questions that he's asking. And I think that feels like a paradigm for what Jesus does elsewhere. And I think it's a helpful paradigm for us. He gives a problem first to sow this holy kind of discontentment with the way things are in a culture of sin and death. Nicodemus has to know how wrong things are, how discontent he should be with the way uh, things are in this kingdom. And that discontentment sets up Nicodemus for a solution much bigger than the questions that he's asking. So grace in some ways, grace has a dark past because grace, you and I had to come to this profound realization that we were slaves to a culture of sin and of death. And, and, and it was something we couldn't get ourselves out of. And that is a dark history. For grace to be grace, we have to acknowledge that we have been in fellowship with the darkness, that we're completely helpless to rescue ourselves from it. And that's why it's better. Uh, When I say it's better to be a harlot or a tax collector who finds shelter in the grace of God than an upright moral person holding to some kind of Judeo-Christian ethic who's exploring ethics of God's kingdom as an outsider. It's much better to be the harlot or the tax collector who is fluent in the language of grace than to be the moral, upstanding outsider who upholds some sort of ethic and explores the ethics of God's kingdom as an outsider. Again, God didn't come to make us more moral. He came to make us new, to give us his grace, to make a people out of what wasn't a people before, a multi-ethnic, multinational, multi-generational body of new creation, people who have been redeemed by his grace, who can tell of his story of the heavenly realities of the kingdom of God because of the Holy Spirit who's at work in them. And so then Jesus compares the spirit to the wind. And we had some really good wind yesterday. So remember, remember that wind yesterday. Keep that in your minds. I remember as uh, a kid growing up in California, that kind of wind was sort of constant on the coast. We were about 30 minutes from the ocean and I was driving along the coastal highway and what you would see on the north uh, in, in Northern California along the coast is the ways that some trees grew were completely based on that constant wind. And so winds like yesterday, 20, 25 miles an hour, they were just constant, caused the trees to grow uh, in the ways they looked when they were being blown. And so even when the wind stopped blowing, these trees still looked like they were being blown by the wind because that's just the way that they grew. You could see the work of the wind over a long, long period of time when you looked at the shape of those trees. And I want that to be true for you and I as a community as well. When we think of the work of the Holy Spirit, as people come to know you and I, as people come to know this church, can they see the effects of the Holy Spirit over a long period of time? 
When they look at us, do they see the way that the wind has shaped us through the grace that we show? Jesus tells Nicodemus another example. Um, this one from the scriptures where Moses had lifted up a bronze serpent so that any who were bit by a snake would be saved. They weren't invited first to get their lives together as they're agonizing in pain, being bit by some sort of adder. Uh, you know, they were like, okay, I'm bit. Now I got to get my life together, make sure I can recite the Ten Commandments, repent of all my sins, and then look up at the snake. Uh, Jesus just says they had to look up at the snake. That's all they had to do. And Jesus says that he must be lifted up. And so that means that we begin first with our need for help. That's where we begin in the kingdom of God with our need for God's help. In trust, we look to Jesus, knowing that he is the one who has conquered sin and death. And so I want to encourage us again with, with this Lenten season to create space to contemplate the grace of God and our citizenship in his kingdom. Remember earlier I had invited us to contemplate um, kingdom questions as we're in prayer with Jesus. Let's also contemplate grace, the ways that we need God's help. What does grace teach us about building community, about parenting, about vocations, about sharing our stories, about how we prioritize the different aspects of our days and weeks? As we consider Nicodemus, Let's remember the people around us who have questions and those who are curious about God's kingdom, even to the point where we are starting to pray for people by name. Think of your neighbors. Think of your coworkers. Do we know their names? Do we know something of their stories? Do we know something of the questions that they have about the kingdom of God? And are we praying for them by name? And then let's put grace on display. Like a windblown landscape, let's put grace on display as the Holy Spirit forms us and fashions us into depictions of God's grace as we live into citizenship in the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Almighty God, from whom all thoughts of truth and peace proceed, kindle, we pray, in the hearts of all people the true love of peace. And guide with your pure and peaceable wisdom those who take counsel for the nations of the earth. That in tranquility of your kingdom may go forward till the earth is filled with the knowledge of your love. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen.